Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, here with Chris Harris, Stale Gum. We're going to talk about his origin story. Looking forward to that. Uh, thanks, sponsors, Tops Panini and Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Compsy.com, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Now, I think they want to be called Beckett Collectibles. So, <laughs> Chris Harris, welcome to the show. Give us a couple welcome. minutes on your noteworthy hobby background, starting early and bringing us up to date. And we'll just interact about that because I'm looking forward to hearing your story. So thanks, Chris. For sure. Coming. Everything starts among collectors when we were kids. I had had cards when I was really young, but I really never really got the collector's bug until one day in the mid-1980s. I was out running errands with my dad in downtown Newark, Delaware. And we're coming out of a bank and right across the street, two things caught my eye. One was a bicycle shop, not just any bicycle shop, a BMX bicycle shop. And what kid living in the 80s? But then a split second later, I move over to my right a little bit. And I see this sign that says baseball cards. And right there, man, I asked my dad not to go into the BMX bike shop, but to check out this baseball card shop. This sounds interesting. Fork in the road. And I go in, and this is the first time I'd ever been in a hobby shop in my life. That moment, <laughs> it was packed with baseball cards and cards that I'd never seen before, cards that were a little different that I wasn't used to picking up at the local Wawa. From that moment, I was hooked. I would save up all my money, my, my Christmas money or my birthday money or my lawn mowing money. I'd ask my dad, take me to this card shop. The name of the card shop was called the Stale Gum Trading Company. That's my tribute to that first store that got me hooked into card collecting. Cool. So you'd been a neighborhood collector up to that point or what? Uh, a what kind of collector? Neighborhood. You just in your neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. The, the school I went to, we had a small little convenience store across the street that sold penny candy. I think I'm dating myself here with penny candy. Penny candy and baseball cards. And it seemed every young boy in the first grade at St. Francis de Sales School had a small little baseball card collection, but not really serious about it. But it really wasn't until that moment when I walked into that store, the Stale Gum Trading Company, that I was hooked. I got the collecting bug and I just had to start collecting cards. And you've had it since or have you had any breaks? I, I think most people in my generation, I'm in my mid-40s now, tended to have a break, like usually when they went into high school or college. But I, I never really did. I, I never really stopped collecting until when I started working, I would pick up a few packs or pick up a set and go at it. And are you mainly baseball or exclusively baseball? I am exclusively baseball. Football and basketball cards really weren't a thing in the mid-80s when I was a kid. There were football cards, obviously, but not where they would become in the early 90s. Okay, you're tracking with baseball cards, and that was a, a prolific era of, of production of cards, including some of what are considered junk wax items now, although I think that the wax is good, but they were uh, heavily produced in some of those years. So how did you navigate that? Was that positive for you in that you just were able to get a lot more cards uh, more cheaply, or were you um, well it looking for rarities? It was the 80s and 90s, and we really didn't know any better about the junk wax era. I don't think that term was even coined until years later. For me, it was just trying to accumulate as many cards as possible, preferably cheaply as possible, and just knocking off cards off of my want list. Okay, especially toward the 
beginning of your collecting, Tops was pretty dominant. But as you move into the 90s, there were many other companies in baseball as well as the other sports. So were you still Tops first or Tops only? Or where, where did you fit in that? I was predominantly a Tops man. I think when I was a kid, this was right around the time when Don Russ and Fleer both got into the game. But you had some kids that were Tops kids and some kids that were Fleer kids. We really didn't get that much Don Russ in, in the area where I lived, but I was mostly a Topps kid back then. And it really wasn't until later that I started discovering a lot of the, the other Fleer and Don Russ sets of that era. Were you simultaneously working forward and backward in terms of the chronology of trying to get the current uh, top set as well as working your way back? Or were you mainly focused on modern cards? I was focused mostly on modern at that time. Older cards back then really didn't interest me that much, other than maybe some going back and trying to collect some of the early Don Russ and Fleer sets. But 1950s, 1960s cards, I, I really didn't relate to back then. So I wish that I did in retrospect. Yeah. Okay, so bring us closer to this. Now we're talking about the 80s and the 90s. What about in the 2000s and more recently? What's the level of your, because I think you're pretty seriously involved. Has it been a side gig all along or what's vocationally, how, how's this fit into the rest of your life? So around the late 90s, I was in the Air Force at the time. This was around the time when I got my first computer and first discovered the internet. And I discovered this whole network of other collectors that I didn't even know before. One of the big things back then were news groups. And I actually think Beckett had its own news group server at the time. But one of them was something called RCCD, which was rec.collectors.cards.discuss. It was a news group that I guess was like the blowout forms of its time. And it was interesting to meet other collectors and share their viewpoints. Was it more about sharing the relationship or sharing the information or getting the cards? Because when I talk to people, some are very relational, some are very, I just want the cards. And then some, I think you're a little bit like me, but there's a research component to it as well. So which yeah, of those? Yeah, it, it was discovering things that you didn't know before, discovering some kind of different variation that you didn't know existed or some obscure test set that you didn't know. That was part of it. A lot of it was just the community of other collectors that like me that I really didn't even know were out there. And I think that's still the same thing today with things like social media. I've been introduced to, to people from all over America, even into Canada, that I share my same interest as master set builders that I would have never, never known about. And I'm appreciative of that. Yeah, the master set uh, thing is, and it just for listeners that are not familiar, to really get after all the obscure variations and all these things is they're they're number one they're really hard to find and number two it's, and they're scarce anyway in in some cases uh, but there's not a lot of people chasing them but the people that are chasing them are very avid and you have to be a, a detective uh, and communicating with other fellow collectors who are looking for those same things it's, there's different parts of the country where some of these things came out and other places where you'd never find them especially nowadays with all the manufactured variations where you got to flip over the card and break out a magnifying glass and right. decipher a code on the back in order to figure out what you got. It's very frustrating for collectors. I think it's not just tops, though. Basically, all these card companies walk the line of making it complicated, but not too complicated. They don't want people to be frustrated and leave. They want it to be frustrated to, hey, I better buy some more or, or keep looking. So it needs to be a challenge. But if it's too big of a challenge, 
that's that's not good either. What are you looking for now? If you go to a show or, or for some of the stuff you're talking about, shows are not going to be helpful. It's going to be more, if you're long tail and more obscure stuff, it's more... Uh, you might be surprised by some of the things you find at card shows these days. I, I go basically every weekend when I'm not on Hobby Hotline. I'm usually at a card show picking through a dollar box. Some of the cards that you'll find in dollar boxes, you'll be surprised. I think that has more to do with the fact that I think dealers really don't know what they have sometimes and they just throw it into the dollar box, like a $20 or $50 variation or some case hit insert from 1997 that they've never seen before. Chris, I'm the only guy you're going to talk to besides maybe Rich Klein, that is not surprised because I actually look (laughs) at that stuff too. When I find a good card in there, I'm not surprised. It's a Eureka moment. I think, wow, this is a great card, but Nine out of 10 collectors are going to look right by that card because they don't realize it's the variation. It's the tougher version of it. So Rich knows, I know, Rob Barris knows, all the dealer knows that populated the, the dollar box or $5 box, whatever it is, is that this is a better card. I'm not sure how or where or whether to look it up. I don't have time, but I, I haven't seen this recently. I'm just going to throw it in here and see what happens. So I'm not surprised there's good stuff in there. I am surprised which good stuff I'll find. And uh, like you say, if it's really obscure, I'm not the first person that, that there'll be 10 people, but that have passed on that card in that box before I find it. So these things are not universally easily recognized as rarities. And again, rarity might be, it's a $10 card that you find in a dollar box. I'm not finding many $50 yeah. cards. Rich found a $400 card dollar box and proceeded being the wonderful guy that he is. He tells the, the, the dealer and says, Hey, I think you made a mistake. This is an extremely tough variation. But I haven't found anything that good. But again, I, I think you're probably finding some good stuff, but your knowledge is why you can even recognize it. You can't go through a dollar box and look up every card individually or you, you won't get through the first row. Yeah. Now, and sometimes it's not really even worth it either. It so. wouldn't be worth it if you come up with one out of a monster box, then you, your, your time's worth more than that. But it's still fun to look at the cards. So, uh, yeah. yeah. What, what and about- that's something that really doesn't translate onto things like eBay. Right. Or making trades on social media. There's just something about setting up at a card show, pulling up a chair, and just thumbing through some singles. You are a kindred spirit. Uh, that is exactly <laughs> what I think. I find it relaxing. If you told me I had to sit, look at cards for an hour and grade them, I would run out of gas. But if you tell me to spend an hour looking at cards and re- very quickly and try to spot some fun stuff that I'm going to pull out, I could do that all day. But grading would be just a chore. Because you're looking too closely at one card, yeah. I look at a whole bunch of cards. So I'm like you. I'm a different uh, vintage, but uh, seeing a lot of cards is more fun than seeing a few. The hobby's actually going the other direction. Mm-hmm. People's collections are shrinking, not just because of the cost, but even their interest. They're not collecting sets. They're maybe teams or more likely players. And you couldn't look through a dollar box and look for your player because there are too many players. Yeah. Frankly, if it's an obscure player, it might not be in there. If it's a famous player, it's probably not going to be a great card of that player. It's going to be a, a, a base card or something. So at any rate, we share that in comments. So that I'm so happy to hear that. You may be the same as Rich in the concept that when Rich goes through a dollar box and then I go after him and look at the same stuff, I still find stuff. It might be that if you and I, we wouldn't be fighting over the box, but if you went first, I bet I'd still find stuff. If I went first, I bet you'd still find stuff. 
Chris, thanks for sharing that. I, I'm excited to know that. I was going to say, I hope you don't come to the shows that I want you to get <laughs> stuff, but I think there's enough to go around. So uh, I look forward to yeah. seeing you at the National or, or one of these shows. That the Dallas shows are hitting oh, hard these days in case you're around here. But uh, anyway, Chris Harris, Stale Gum, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing your origin story. We'll be back again tomorrow with a, another episode. is doing all of